Well, yesterday was the big day. For many of us, we gathered with family. We got together. We ate. We opened presents. Hopefully you caught a nap. I, I didn't get a nap yesterday. I'm planning on getting two of them today just to make up for that. Uh, but hopefully you got a nap. And then we wake up today in the aftermath of Christmas. And suddenly we realize uh, we got to get the tree down sooner or later. And we've got to pack everything back up and, and put all of this stuff away. And then within a week, a week from now, we will all have to remember to write 2022, right? Does that sound right? Can it really be 2022 is, is a week away? That just doesn't seem right at all. And we might wonder what the next year is going to bring, what joys we'll have in 2022, what sorrows we might have, what, what grieving we might do in 2022, what, what challenges might we have in 2022. We've spent the last four weeks looking at the phrase, fear not, as it appears in the Christmas story. It was there when Zechariah was told by the angel Gabriel that his wife Elizabeth was going to have a son in her old age and that they were to call his name John. The angel said to Zechariah, fear not. It was there in Joseph's dream that an angel came to him in his dream and told him about all that God had planned for him and for Mary and what to name his son. And the angel said, fear not. It was there on the hillside as the shepherds heard the announcement from the angels of, uh, of the birth of a new king. The shepherds were told to fear not. And it was there for Mary when she was told that her life would change forever. She was told by the angel, fear not. Can we say with confidence as we approach a new year, as we approach 2022, can we say fear not? Their worlds changed as the promise that God made to them was fulfilled. Old Zechariah and Elizabeth became mom and dad to John the Baptist. Shepherds became newscasters as they shared the good news. They told the story of the gospel. Mary said that from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Their worlds changed. And we look at our world we look at the possibilities of 2022. We look at the challenges we've had in the last couple of years and we realize our world needs to change. And we have to realize that the change in our world begins with the change that Jesus brings in us. We're going to look at Luke chapter 2 today, verses 21 through 38. It's also on page 857 in those blue Bibles in front of you. The world changed after the birth of Jesus and the first place that it changed was in the life of His family. After taking their little boy home and then taking him to the temple to dedicate him, this is part of the Christmas story too. It's a part that we don't often pay attention to, but it's part of the Christmas story. It's part of our story of faith. Just as they dedicated their son to Jesus, or their son Jesus, just as they dedicated their son Jesus to God, we dedicate ourselves to Christ we dedicate ourselves to Him anew. We dedicate ourselves to Him every day. We want to see our world change in 2022. And that starts with us. It starts as we obey God's call. What Luke gives us here in these verses is kind of a Reader's Digest version of some events. He, he distills them down. He condenses them down to just a few verses. But what we have in this passage are, are three different events that took place over the course of about a month 
and a half, 40 some days. We begin in, in verse 21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So when Jesus was eight days old, he was circumcised. That ceremony that every Jewish male went through, that Jewish males continue to go through to this day, circumcision symbolizes that you belong to the community. You belong to the community now. You're not alone. You're part of something bigger. You're part of something that's bigger than yourself, bigger than just your family. You belong to all of us. It's all of us together now. But that's just one part of what's going on in this passage. Verse, uh, verse 22 actually occurs 41 days after Jesus was born. It, uh, his circumcision took place in his local community. That would have been in his, in his home synagogue, his home church, you might think. Uh, but the next ceremony we read about in verse 22 takes place in the temple in Jerusalem. It is the ceremony of his mother's purification. Verses 22 through 24 and when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it was written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer the sacrifice according to what it said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. That last verse, a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons, that verse tells us loads about this family, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. It tells us they were poor. Because the law itself, if you go back, this is all based on what we're told in Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 12, verse 6 says, and when the days of her purifying are complete, that's what's happening here, whether for a son or a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb a lamb a year old for a burnt offering and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. Where's the lamb? What happened to the lamb? Did they forget the lamb? Did the lamb run away? Did Mary lose her little lamb? I don't think so. Did Luke forget to mention the lamb? No. Because Leviticus goes on. Chapter 12, verse 8 says, if she, Mary, if she can't afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons. I've been reading a little from a version of the Bible, a, a version called the, the Cotton Patch Gospel. It's a paraphrase that was paraphrased by a man named Clarence Jordan. It puts a Southern feel to the Gospel story. And it presents the Gospel as though it were taking place in, in the Southern United States. Jesus and, and Mary and Joseph, they don't live in Bethlehem. They, they, live, they live in Gainesville. Or Jesus is born in Gainesville. They live in Valdosta in this story. You know, this is how it's... And, and it, it, it reinterprets it and it positions us in a world that might be a little more familiar to us. And in this verse, Clarence Jordan writes, uh, in, as he translates it, as he paraphrases it, he says, they wanted to make a thank offering, as the Scripture said, of the equivalent of a couple of ducks or two friars. <laughs> and that's what they end up bringing in the, in the cotton patch. A couple of ducks or two friars. Now that's terms that you and I can understand. We understand ducks. We understand chickens. We understand a couple of friars. That got them by. Some of you grew up hearing stories, or maybe it was part of your story, about doctors who would make house calls. That's something they used to do. 
Doctors who would make house calls and they would get paid with chickens, right? You know, folks would give them a give them a few cartons of eggs. That, that's how the doctors got by. Or maybe even the birth. You know, and, and instead of paying the doctor for the birth, you gave him a chicken. You gave him gave him a chicken or two, and that was enough, right? You grew up hearing stories like that. That's the world that Jesus was born into. That's the kind of family that Jesus was born into. That was his family. But I want you to understand this. They were poor, and yet they gave what they could. And whatever it was that they could give, that was honored. That was welcome. God's law has always made provisions for those that don't have much. It's always made provisions for the poor. We, we tend to think of the law of God as strict, as unyielding, as thus saith the Lord, and you'd better obey this. But there's always been provision in God's mercy and His grace. He makes allowances for those that have very little. No one is to be considered unclean or impure because they didn't have anything to offer. And that's important for us to understand. No one should ever feel disqualified for the grace of God. No one should ever feel like they're not good enough. They don't have enough to be, to be here, to, to, to qualify for the grace of God. No one should ever be made to feel like they don't belong just because they don't have much. This isn't a country club, right? This is a church. It's not a country club. We don't have dues. We don't have fees. This is a place of grace. This is a place of hope. This is a place of hospitality where people are welcome. Everyone here is valuable. Everyone here has something to share. And everyone here can know God's grace. That's the story of how Jesus' parents dedicated Him. And it needs to be part of our dedication as we give our lives to Christ. And when we do that, just like in this story, we should also expect God to show up. We should expect God's presence. So Luke condenses these three, these three ceremonies, these three events into just a few passages, just a few verses. There is Jesus' circumcision. There is His purification. There's one other ceremony, and that is the dedication of Jesus to God. Again, back in verse 22, the second half says they went to Jerusalem to present Him to the Lord as is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. This is an ancient ceremony uh, that we see all the way through the Old Testament. It's all the way through the history of Israel. When, when Hannah presents her son Samuel to God, God gives, here's Hannah's prayer, gives, him, gives her a son. She names him Samuel. She brings him back to the temple. She dedicates him to the temple. The firstborn child was recognized as belonging to God. And that firstborn child had to be redeemed. You had to buy your kid back from God. God gave you your kid. You had to buy your kid back from God. It was a recognition that God has blessed us with this child. This child belongs to Him. And so it's at that point where we meet what we will call some colorful local characters. We've got some colorful local characters around here in Kansas too, but we meet some colorful local characters. Starting with a man named Simeon. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem, whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came and he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. I've always loved Simeon's interaction here. Simeon was told he's not going to die until he sees the birth of the Messiah. And so he goes to the temple waiting and looking and watching for any sign that, uh, that the Messiah has come. He sees the child and he says, this is it. This is what I've been waiting for. I love his title for Jesus. He calls him the consolation of Israel. It's, it's a title that I just think there's so much there that we need to understand. The consolation of Israel. He's not saying Jesus is a consolation prize. Now that's, that's not what he means. The consolation of Israel. This is the one who will console our people. This is the one who's going to comfort our people. This is the one who's going to comfort us in our troubles, in our sorrows. He's pulling that title from Isaiah. A beautiful verse in Isaiah. I read it a couple weeks ago for you. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, where Isaiah writes, Comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. And it's a reminder, in fact, all of Isaiah 40 is a reminder to us that God doesn't leave us in our misery. God doesn't leave us in our sin. God does not abandon us. Instead, He comforts His people. Simeon saw that in this little baby. And he said, this is what I've been waiting for. But there's more than just God's promise to His people. Simeon goes on in verse 30, "...My eyes have seen your salvation." And you have prepared that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. A light of revelation to the Gentiles, to those who are outside of Israel, to those who are outside of the kingdom, to those who are outside of the covenant. Not just the comfort that Jesus would bring to his people, but also to those who are on the outside that through Him there would be light, that God would be visible, that God would be seen clearly, that God would be known. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. A light for those who are on the outside. Do you remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? You are the light of the world. A city set on a hillside cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it underneath a basket. No, you put it on a stand so that it gives light to all people. You are the light of the world. Not a light for those inside the church, but a light for those on the outside so that they might know God's presence, so that they might know God is here, that they might know the, the promises that He has. Several months ago, I guess, this has been several months ago, the light in our steeple burned out. Um, I live across the road, and I'm ashamed to tell you, I didn't notice. I did not notice that the light had burned out. I, I just, just hadn't paid any attention. But then Dave and Chad showed up one day, and they make you climb up there, Chad? Yeah, Chad climbed up there and uh, took a new light bulb up there and plugged it in and screwed it in there, got the light bulb changed. And they put in a light that was much brighter than our old light. And when I came out that night and looked up, I noticed because that steeple just kind of glows. I mean, it's really, really bright. Come by here at night sometime and see how the steeple, how the steeple glows. It is so much brighter. But you know, that light in the steeple is a reminder for you and me. It's a reminder for you and me that our faith needs to shine 
in our community. Our faith needs to shine to those who are around us. That light comes not from a steeple, but that light comes from within us. We are the light of the world so that the world can see Jesus through us. And just like this passage, in order for us to make sure that others can find Jesus, we also have to tell His story. We tell His story. So we meet Simeon, and then we meet Anna. She's a prophetess, it says. It says Anna's a prophetess. That means she's a preacher. Don't tell her she's not supposed to do that because she's going to do it anyway. Okay? She's going to share. Verses 36 and 37. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. How old is she? Well, it sounds like she's 84, but pay a little more attention there. She was she's married for seven years before her husband died. Very likely girls in that age were Girls in those days were married by the time they were 14 usually. So by 21, she is now a widow. Her husband has passed away. And then she lived as a widow until she's 84. But what the text is saying is after that, after she was 84, she committed herself to the temple. She lived at the temple. She was living there. And it is very likely that she is, well, it says there in the first verse that she was advanced in years. It's very likely she's closer to about 100 by this time. Can you imagine that? I mean, some of you can. Uh, <laughs> saying, I'm not looking at anyone in particular, but some of you, are, you know, we're, we're getting up there. But she, she's, here she is. She's, she's almost 100 years old and she's not taking it easy. She's not taking a back seat. She's still serving. She's not saying, I'm too old to do anything. I'm too old to help out anymore. And and I've done my part and now it's time for somebody else to do their turn. No, she's still serving. She's still praying. She's still fasting night and day. And when she encounters Jesus, this little baby, a month and a half old, she recognizes that this is the Messiah. This is the one we've been waiting for. And then what does she do? Verse 38, And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She starts telling His story. She starts telling everyone. She starts spreading the news that God is doing something new. God is doing something in our day. Luke doesn't record her words for us. I wish he would have, you know, but he doesn't tell us what she said, but he does record what she did. She told everyone. She made everyone aware that God was doing something special in this child. Now, our goal needs to be to make everyone aware that God is doing something special in our world. And to do that, we need to shine the light of Christ. We need to shine our light. We need to tell our stories that lives are being changed, that needs are being met, that hopeless people are finding hope here, that the helpless people are finding help here. Simeon said that he was a light to the Gentiles, that Jesus was a light to the Gentiles. We need to shine that light in our community. We need to shine that light in Kansas. We need to shine that light to the people around us so that people can see who Jesus is, what He's doing, so that they can know that God is active here. And I know there are many ways that we do that already, and I think there are many ways that we do that very well, but here's the key 
with Anna's story. Anna did not tell Mary's story. Anna told Anna's story. She didn't tell the shepherd's story. She didn't describe Jesus the same way that the angels had described him to, to the shepherds. She told what Jesus meant to her. Same as with Simeon. Simeon didn't describe Jesus the way that Zechariah would have described him, the way anyone else would have described him. He says this is the consolation of Israel. This is the one who brings my comfort, my people's comfort. This is the light for our world. And I hope that everyone we encounter knows what a, what a wonderful church we have here. And I hope that in 2022, there are stories of the love that is here, the stories of the grace that is here, and the generosity that's known here. And I know that because of the way you give, there are stories of the generosity and the love of this church and the grace that we show. There are stories all around the world about the generosity of Kansas Christian Church. But most of all, I hope that the people whose lives that we touch people we share with, people that we show comfort to and compassion to, I hope the people whose lives are changed because of our generosity, I hope they have their own stories. I hope they have their own stories about how Jesus changed their lives. Think about some of the lives we touched this past year. You know, we, we provided food for people that had no food in their homes. Well, we provided gas for people to get back and forth to doctor's appointments. We, well, we provided a lady with a train ticket because she needed to get out of an abusive relationship. We, we did a lot of things to help a lot of people here. And, you know, if we, if we just get to say, if we just get to say, yeah, we had a hand in that. You know, we had a hand in sending out a whole bunch of Operation Christmas Child shoe boxes and, and making Christmases a lot happier for some kids around the world. If we get to say, yeah, we had a hand in that, that's just the icing on the cake. You know, for 20, <laughs> for 20 years now, I've been telling you there's really one goal that a church ought to have, and that is to lift up Jesus. John chapter 3, Jesus says, if I be lifted up, I will draw everyone to me. Not if I lift up a particular church. Not if I lift up a particular preacher. Not if I lift up a particular this or that, but if we lift up Jesus, the promise is there that He will draw people to Him. So let's lift up Jesus together. Let's make Him known in the things that we say, in the way that we show kindness, in the way that we love, in the way that we share with others. I think our world and our community needs that now more than ever. Let's make sure they see Jesus through us. Let's make sure that He gets all the glory. We're going to take communion in just a moment. It's a song we, uh, we first did this song that we're going to sing last year. And it's a kind of a new song. We've only done it once before. Uh, but I really like this song. Um, when you hear the song, you're, the, the words might seem kind of new to you. But just remember Old Lang Syne, right? New Year's is coming up. The tune is Old Lang Syne. You can't mess this one up. It's going to be great. You're going to do fine. But no, really, you're not going to mess this up. But before we, uh, before we sing that, let me pray. Let's prepare our hearts for communion. Father, we thank You for the grace that we've known through You. We thank You for the light that has shined through this church, through these people, Lord, lives are touched, lives are changed because of the way that, that we've lifted up Christ. And so right now as we prepare our heart for communion, we prepare our heart to take, to take the bread that represents His body broken, the, the 
cup that represents His bloodshed. We come preparing to take Christ into us so that we might carry His life with us into our world. And I pray that those we encounter would know His love, know His grace, and know His kindness because they know us. Bless this time as we again draw near. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.